attention Take space to think and breathe Sip our holy water Articulate our needs Hey there, what's up? You are listening to Grits and Berets, the podcast. It is officially, what, February 2021. And we are still in the middle of a pandemic. A Pandora's box, a petty label, a pterodactyl, or... Is it pterodactyl? Yeah, because it starts with a P, like, period. Anyways, I think so. I could be wrong. Anyways, <laughs> we are still recording episodes via Zoom. So, the quality of the audio may not be the best, but the conversation is so worthwhile. So... Sit back, enjoy. Um, I hope you gain some stuff from it. It's going to be great. Today, I have someone who I consider my little sister, my birthday twin. Hey, um, birthday twin. <laughs> someone who, um, whose poetry I catch myself searching on YouTube at three in the morning when I just need something to listen to that will really just get me together. Um, Ajane Duncan. Um so I'm gonna gash you for a bit. <laughs> I'm gonna gash you for a bit. Um, so I met you when you were still in high school. When you were still in high school, um, through some more mutual friends, um, one of them being my then roommate Justin, Justin Rogers, who was like a big brother to you. Um, and you were in a poetry collective called The Witness. Yes. <laughs> it was. It was. Go back. Right? It was um it was you, Grover D. Easterlin, um, Joseph Verge, um, Brittany Rogers now, and Justin. I'm not sure was was Ariana a part of it as well? Was Ariana a part of Witness? I don't think so, but I or maybe she was, but that was when Ariana got pregnant. Right. So she was she had like kind of stepped back from the She was a new mother at the time. I do remember that much. Because I remember her coming on campus and we used to like crack jokes and yell out areolas very loudly on campus. I don't know yeah. why. <laughs> but it was really cute. Um, um, and through witness is um how I got really introduced into the Detroit poetry community, I myself have have um, always written but never felt confident enough with sharing, right? So um, having Justin as a roommate and then being introduced to like this, this collective of amazing poets, amazing writers, um, um, honestly amazing world builders, um, I was always in awe. Um, and then I met you and you did some poems. And some of these poems, uh, like, like as I said before we started recording, really just held, I held on to, it was, if, if, if nothing but like a line or um, just the way that you would emote, um, it was just everything for me. And I, I, I want to celebrate you. <laughs> I want to celebrate you. Um, how are you? How are you doing today? I am good. I am emotional hearing all of your words. And also because there's not a lot of people who knew me as young as you knew me. Because mm-hmm. I was a mess, okay? <laughs> I was, who, like, thank God for Jesus um, snatching me up and getting me together because I was really a mess. Um, so even to hear you referencing these old poems and be like, I haven't performed that poem in years. I wrote that poem when I was like 16, 17. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't performed that poem in years, but also... Yo, I think about because you do something that I could never do in your like in terms of your visual eye. Like I remember when you first started really like pulling these fellowships, pulling this stuff, and I was like, oh, I need to get on my grind. Like <laughs> Daryl is doing the thing. So I just I'm it's so it's so heartwarming to hear you speak about me that way. Cause I'm like, I look at you and be like, what does Daryl do? Like, I need to step my game up. I need to apply for something. Like I need to, I need to be about my business. So, mm-hmm. and watching you grow as an artist, like I remember, cause I think you were actually a photographer. Like when you had just started photography, you were a photographer for like our first show. I was. <laughs> I just, I'm like, so I just think about like where we both were in that space and mm-hmm. I don't know. That's good. That's really the okay. I'm good. So, um you are currently 
doing something I think is extremely ambitious. You are currently doing two master's programs. <laughs> Baby. Um, if I'm correct, you're doing one and you're getting your MFA in poetry. Yes. And what institution is that at? That's at Randolph College. Okay, how is that going? It is amazing. It is immaculate. I 10 out of 10 recommend it, um, particularly for poets of color and Black writers. Okay. Um, it's a low residency, which means that essentially I'm not required to live on campus or anything like that in order to attend. Um, I think it means a variation of other things as well, but that's going to be my short answer. Um, And yeah, so that's that program. And then I'm getting my Masters of Divination, which is for folks who don't know, it's a seminary or it's a Bible degree. Like I'm learning, it's like the, if if your pastor has a degree, they likely have an MDiv, like just- Okay, so is is that the same as theology? Yes and no. So okay. I, I study theology, but it's not the same as a theology degree. So theology tends to be a bit more academic. Um, so it is like literally the like, um, and not to say that my degree isn't academic, because it's a degree. How do I explain it? Theology would be like the heavy academic study. Like if I planned on like teaching at a university, I might get a theology degree, okay. um, like theology PhD. Um, preachers tend to get MDivs, people who really on teaching in less formal settings because it's also about leadership and church history and like kind of the full gambit of of that as opposed to just the biblical text gotcha gotcha beautiful um yeah i remember uh i think i was with both you and Brittany when y'all were talking about how y'all both had just got accepted i think i just got y'all letters that weekend or that day um and i was just sitting over there in the corner like oh my god i remember this feeling um, <laughs> And I, again, am just in awe because, um, because like, uh, we've been friends. I've, I've, seen, I've seen your growth as an artist um, and as a writer. Um, I've, I've also seen how you have been celebrated amongst um, the poetry community. Um, part of that will be, like, um, your poetry being seen on Button Press right? Which is how I often find a lot of poets. So I, I myself, I, I, I realized that I, um, the poets that I oftentimes am like drawn into are often queer poets and um, female and or women identifying poets. There's something about it that really draws me in. Um, it could just be fact that I'm just gay as hell. <laughs> uh, but it's, it's like the, there's this nurturing of it, um, there's this nurturing aspect of it, right? In which it oftentimes y'all are writing um, from a very vulnerable place that I often feel that um, cis hetero men, at least to my knowledge, I struggle with connecting with. Um, so like poets I've really been looking up to, yourself, Brittany, um, Denez, Morgan Parker, um, Jasmine Mans, which I think Jasmine Mans was one of the first poetry books I purchased, which was, um, chalk outlines of a, of a snow angel i like i remember getting it she autographed it i don't let nobody borrow that damn book <laughs> um and yeah so um you have a few poems i definitely want to talk about but I also just want to talk about like your writing your writing process like how does how how do you come up with the ideas of what you talk about how um how long does it take you to write a poem? Do, do poems come to you in the middle of the night, like dreams? Um, do, um, do, do all of your poems have something to do with a, um, a actual moment in life or are they imaginative? Um, I know those are a few questions. <laughs> no. Um, yeah, we could hop into it. So these answers are kind of complicated just because I feel like everything about my process has changed so much in the last few years. Gotcha. Um, I'm just trying to decide which one I'm gonna go for first. Okay, so in terms of general process, my process has changed a lot. I absolutely, without a doubt, um, used to, there's this um, woman named Sophia Snow brilliant brilliant MC. she dances she does a bunch of stuff she's currently the director of oh my first wave which is the program that i was in in college at university of wisconsin madison 
And she like talked once about creating art accidentally. And for me, I used to do, that's what I do. I created good work or theoretically what was good work for me at the time. Accidentally, I would get emotional. I would do whatever. And, you know, something would make me mad. Something would make me upset. And I would create out of this space of inspiration. Mm -hmm. um, And those would be my best poems. Um, whereas now I have much more of a practice because I can't really afford to rely on the fact like I mean, life's pretty good right now. Like, so I can't, you know, wait for some like sad thing to hit me to, you know, be like, I'm, I'm in a graduate school program that requires me to push work out and beyond that. Um, I think poetry is more of a job now. So I can't, it can't be that for me. So my process looks like a few different things. Um, sometimes it looks like I had a dream and I woke up and was like, I have to write this thing down. A lot of times it is as soon as I put my head on my pillow and be like, it's time to go to bed. My brain is like, here's a line. <laughs> <laughs> but before you close your eyes, here's three lines. Here's a stanza. <laughs> and I literally, it's, a, it's like a nightly thing where I'll be like, I can write this line down right now. Mm-hmm. I can go to bed and by the morning it will be gone. Um, And then another thing that I love doing is I write in my prayer closet. So I'll go in my prayer closet and I'll pray and I'll worship. And then after that, I'll like, and I'll read my Bible and then I'll have time to write and I'll write or at church when like, you know, there's like praise and worship and then there's the sermon, like Mm -hmm. while people are in praise and worship, I'll like that'll be my prayer like praise and worship is like writing my poems I love so that. I'll be kind of like sitting on the side writing um I don't have a daily practice by any means I think I don't try to follow my inspiration but I do try to follow my seasons so there are some seasons where it's just very difficult for me to write so I focus on editing or reading and consuming media um and then if I'm like in a season where I'm writing I try to write as much as possible until that season dries up Mm-hmm. Um, because if I'm always writing, that means I'm never editing or I'm never submitting. So I try not to obey the idea of inspiration, but I do try to obey the idea of seasons. That's beautiful. I, I've, I just, I've never thought about, um, about seasons, which is weird because I, te- I technically barely make work in the winter. <laughs> like I pump out all my work in the summer because it's just, it's the sun's out. I'm, I'm more eager to get out and make stuff, but during the winter as like seasons, um, I'm definitely consuming more media, reading, watching stuff, listening to a lot of music, having conversations and so on and so forth. That definitely does help with um, with building a practice, with like sustaining my practice creatively. Um, yeah, no, I, I think that's great. Um, I have questions. I'm, I, I, so I also make sure I put, I like, got my little, my little notes. Um, Cause so you brought up first wave. <laughs> gang gang shout out to them forever and always also you had other questions i didn't answer in that whole spiel like i could still answer those but yeah let's we can talk about first wave yeah i'll, I'll come back to those i could you brought up first wave uh-huh. um and first wave i found out about first wave when i was in high school i actually applied for it you applied for first uh, wave? i applied for first wave um they told me um i <laughs> So, and this is, and um, there was a, so I went to Kettering High School and we had someone who's, who, who had a poet who apparently worked for Inside Out who came to my school helping up to writing. And I was the only student who was actually interested in writing poetry. And I remember giving him like this packet of poems that I had and he read, he took it home and brought it back to the next day. He was like, Daryl, as, as one of your teachers, I cannot read half these poems. Because <laughs> they're all sexual, right? Um, as a sexual, as a sexually deprived little gay kid in high school, I didn't know I wasn't having sex. So I was writing about it. And he was, I can't. I he was like, he was like, I can see that you know how to write. I am not going to give you critiques on the poems about sex. I will give you critiques about everything else. <laughs> and then he recommended I apply to First Wave. And the the sad thing is, I was accepted into First Wave, but not accepted in the University of Wisconsin Madison. And I was just like, oh, okay, girl, whatever. Because I, I, I didn't grasp what, how, how big it was. I was like, oh, okay, anyways. Um, but you, you went um, with one of our friends, Joe. Yeah. Um, and in your time there, you also went to Morocco. 
Um, so like, what was, what was it like for you coming from Metro Detroit, um, a predominantly black and brown city? Granted, you, you stayed up in Troy, if I'm correct. So you still had some Caucasians out there. You still had the whites. <laughs> um, but like, what was it like for you to be making the work that you're making and surrounded by a, a very white community. And the reason I'm asking this is because the one time I did come up, come up, come up there Wisconsin to visit, um, I felt this violent energy. Uh, and I talked to Joe about this after I left and I was like, love, I will never come visit you again. Cause I just like, it was like, we were, it was, I think it was homecoming weekend, 2000, probably 16. I think this is the same. Huh? I said, and homecoming weekend is a special time in Madison. Right, but I think this is around the same time someone had went to, I think one of y'all football games with Obama on a news or something. Uh-huh. Um, and I went, and all I remember is me and Joy walking, and I'm getting shoulder checked left and right by white people leaving for the football game. But I was so taken back because I'm so used to, I was so used to the um, to the subtle racism. They see me there across the street versus in Wisconsin, I was just like, <laughs> I was just getting hit by like like rocks left and right. So like, what was it like for you as as a poet, as a woman? Who, um, who is very proud of her blackness, very proud of her womanhood. What was it like for you to be at an institution like that? Like, what was it like for you to write and create an institution like that? It was wild. Oh my gosh. Yeah, so I, I, I went to UW. I did, I lived in Spain and Morocco, which was a really interesting break and I can talk about that later. But um, I literally have had to unpack so much from my time in Wisconsin. So I want to say and separate Wisconsin from first wave, although they really can't be separated. Mm -hmm. First wave was an amazing experience. Like for whatever, whatever anyone might ever have to say about um, experience there. First wave was an incredible um, once in a lifetime, life-changing experience. it was still very much so in its development phase because I was like the seventh cohort to ever hit. So the oh, wow. okay. I had is not the experience um, that other people before me had um, so, because we, we literally were creating the program as we went kind of mm-hmm. um, and shaping it and developing it. So it looked completely different each year. Um, but that was the, every, I feel like everything that happened in Wisconsin was completely worth it for me because of first wave um, for me personally. Mm-hmm. With that, I was angry. I was like in Wisconsin, Madison made me an angry person. It made me a resentful person. It made me hate white people. I, I went to a predominantly white school before that um, in Troy, which was also racist, but Wisconsin was a different, Madison was a different beast. It was something that I was not used to um Troy was like this like more subtly racist thing I guess not even subtle maybe I was just less aware of it where Madison was like there are people coming here who have like never seen a black person before wow um so there are people coming in and like they see me and my friends and they're staring um I have creating in that space I feel like most of the work that I created was in rebellion of Madison. So it was this like weird, weird space to be in where like first wave is like cultivating all of this stuff in me and they're honing my craft and they're giving me all of these resources and everything that I'm creating is like in response or in rebellion to the space that I'm in in order to receive these resources. So I have story after story after story um, and many of these stories turn have turned into poems. I remember freshman year being in the dorms and like the white women on the floor of the dorms like pretty much saying that they thought (laughs) that the black girls on the floor, you know, essentially were stuck up and like thought that we owed them something because of slavery or thought that they owed us something because of slavery. And then I remember like, and using the N-word, it was crazy. And then them using the N-word and then our black woman RA having to mediate as a neutral third party being forced to mediate a space and conversation between us and these white women. 
Um, I remember this. I have a poem about this. It's, it's, it should be on online. It should be on button about being in a classroom um, and a, a classroom on the history of reproduction and contraception in America. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking about, um, you know, how slaves used to chew cotton root because it's actually a natural form of birth control and they would have to chew it in secret. And like this white girl, like being like, it's me and one other black girl in the class and her being like, why wouldn't slaves just be abstinent? And like blaming slaves for birthing children into slavery like in essentially questioning the motherly instincts of black women as if as if rape wasn't a thing as if rape wasn't a thing as if forced breeding wasn't a thing as if black women in the space like didn't just deserve like love and joy and like after a day on the plantation and violence and everything might not have just wanted to have sex like with their husbands that they weren't actually allowed to marry or with their parents you know what i'm saying right. um even if it wasn't about the rape or the forced breeding like to be like you're experiencing this much trauma and like you also can't experience and you are forbidden from experiencing intimacy or you experience experiencing intimacy would be seen as irresponsible because who why would you bring your children into the situation that white people cause? <laughs> um so I like have poems about that so most of the work I think about most of the work that I created it was just me coming into this awareness of like you mentioned that like the space felt like very violent. It was me coming into this awareness of like how violent the world was towards black people, how violent the world was towards black women. Um, and all, all of not most of my art was in response to that. And it actually, the manuscript that I have now that is being reworked and reworked and reworked, I'm gonna submit it eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, is, is was a response to that because it made me be like, I need to understand what like trauma exists in my family that mirrors like the kind of violence that has been happening racially to black people for forever. Hmm. Wow. I, <laughs> I, I don't know. I think it, I, I definitely do find it funny. Um, both of us being Midwest babies um, and then going to another Midwest state and experiencing blackness in a different light, right? Cause like, so my, my, I know my experience with blackness was from like me being from the east side of Detroit and then going to Chicago, specifically living um, either Southwest which is a predominantly Hispanic community and then moving to the North side which is predominantly um, a, wide, a wider community. And um, me having like, it, that's when I started to understand what it meant to feel invisible. Uh, within these spaces um or as sometimes hyper visible because like my school was right around the corner um from where chicago hamilton is being being played so just imagine like me biggest i'm six foot seven walking like walking with like three totes full of camera equipment headphones blasting fucking erica badu and we're all black and white people are in their fur coats like walking into the theater and like grabbing their purses and looking like i'm crazy like, bitch, I don't want your bag. <laughs> like, I don't want that shit. I got to tell fire at home, bro. Um, um, but yeah, so I um, I, th- I think that's interesting that um, a lot of you saying, like, uh, some of the writings that you were making during that time was, like, a retaliation to, like, your experience. Um, and then you, you spent about a year in Morocco, correct? No, I, so I spent um, half a year in Morocco and then half a year in Spain. Oh, okay. I didn't know you did Spain, too. I don't know why I thought you were just in Morocco for a year. So I will, I'm going to be honest. You're the reason I want to go to Morocco for my 30th birthday. Really? Okay. <laughs> I'm trying to go. I'm trying to go. If you go to Morocco, you should also go to Spain. They are mm. literally right next to each other. Like, you can hop a flight for, like, $100. Like, fly into Spain and, like, fly out of Morocco or something. If you can, like, if it's but we we will talk because i've been trying to go back i want to take my husband i want to take him beautiful so what was morocco like for you because because so if i'm correct when you were in college your major was not writing it was linguistics correct i started off with linguistics um until i realized that i didn't really care about the science as much as i just loved learning languages so then I switched over to English, but then uh-huh. I kept my language courses. So I studied Arabic, Spanish, French, and Swahili. Come on, Swahili, Jabba. Swahili. Oh, 
so I really was the struggle for me. The structure, I was going through so much. That was the one, that was the one for language class. Every black art student at Wayne State took to get this person was in a Swahili. Oh my God. That's funny. Um, yeah, Morocco was, it's so crazy because I went to, um, I, I have a poem about this too. I have a poem about my experience in Morocco. It's called um, How to Be Slaughtered. Um, mm-hmm. My experience as a black woman. Um, because I, so I lived in Spain first and mm-hmm. I was, I was ready for racism in Spain. I was like, okay, like Spaniards, are, in my mind, I'm like, Spaniards are spicy whites, you know? Yeah. Um, so I was very ready for racism in Spain and literally did not experience a, did not experience like a taste of it, like at all. Um, my host mother, my host family was incredibly considerate, like, it took my host mother until, cause I had had braids and it took her till the end of my trip to be like, could I possibly touch your hair? Like now that we've built this really, I didn't, I would like me and her were super close at the time, but she just was like really fascinated. But like, that was how like, you know, cautious they were. It took her to the end of, to be like, could I just like touch a braid? And I was like, Elizabeth, you can do whatever you want. You cook for me every night. Um, <laughs> you was like, you know what? We're family here, girl. We're family. That's really how I felt at that point. And, um, but when I went to Morocco, it was, the wildest experience I've ever had in terms of my identity mm-hmm. um, ever. So, and I don't say this as a knock to Morocco because I'm, I'm really grateful for the country and I love it. Um, but culturally it was, it was just, it was culture shock. I, mm-hmm. um, so I was studying Arabic. I was studying colloquial Moroccan Arabic once I got there mm-hmm. very, very heavily. I present as a black woman, which meant they assumed I was from Africa. They assumed I was from like West Africa. Or they assumed like I was immigrating from there. Um, so they didn't really believe I was America, American at first, but then I was also a woman and I was clearly like a foreigner. So everywhere I went, I was being catcalled, but then my catcalling was very racialized. And I was so desensitized to how heavy it was until one of my friends, she's white and she came and we like walked together somewhere. And she was just like, Ajni, does this happen everywhere you go? And I was like, what are you talking about? And she was like, you don't hear these people screaming at you? And I tuned back in and I heard like, Mama Africa, like, you know, uh, Janet Jackson, Obama family. Like as soon as from the time I walked out my door, everywhere I went, it was just like people screaming at me. So it was interesting. I got marriage proposals. (laughs) Um, I got- That's that's crazy. (laughs) (laughs) It was like the craziest experience of my life. Um, you know, people would yell at me, Janet Jackson, Obama family, um, you know, any like black name that they had and that they, any black face that they were familiar with. Also, they wouldn't speak to me in Arabic. So literally they they would think because I was black they, and they assumed I was like from like uh, from one of the places like a lot of the African immigrants were, they would only speak to me in French because that's their other language, but I don't speak any French. I didn't mm. take French till after I got back. So I would literally be telling them in Arabic, I do not speak French and they would be responding to me in French. And it would take like me like speaking really clearly for them to even believe that, be like, oh my gosh, that's our, Ar- <laughs> like that's Arabic. Right. Um. So I talked about the experience of just like, every day just like walking through spaces and being desensitized to the experience but just walking through spaces and just having people screaming at me and it being a different experience than the white women that were there um and of course then from the men because they weren't being catcalled like people might yell at them for being foreigners um and then also to be being called mama africa and to not be identified as an american but then be a descendant of the transatlantic slave trade and being like i don't know where in africa i'm from right because so it was like it was just this, that that's the poem that I wrote about the poem I wrote about it was about that like really jarring experience and trying to explain to people I'm I'm American and I can't tell you where in Africa I'm from and I know that's like not what you're used to but that is that's the experience I have um but go to Morocco I had a blast I met I got cool with the the basketball, the traveling basketball team there uh-huh. and the men would walk me home. So I would have these like oh, six nice. foot eight people walking me home. And then eventually um, I ended up moving out of my host family's home and moving into my own apartment. And there was a Mercuda guy, Mercuda is like a fried potato street food, it's delicious. 
um, he, after catcalling me for about a month, he realized I was staying and I kind of lived there. And then he would yell at people for catcalling me. It was a very strange transition. Oh, that's interesting. How he went from like, once he realized that you were part of community, his yeah. whole dynamic shift. It was a complete, it was crazy. So literally he went from like yelling at me every day, being like, you know, you're beautiful, mama Africa, this, this and that. And then I think I was walking one day and somebody else yelled at me and he was like, he like whatever he said to him in Arabic I don't even remember what it was but essentially it was like a like she's good like and then he would literally let me stand by his stand at nighttime if I needed to wait to go home to be safe so wow it was a very complicated lots of nuance lots of complications yeah yeah um oh that's interesting um I I always, I, I, I'm always um, interested in hearing um, Black Americans talk about their experiences in other countries because I have never left the U.S. Unfortunately, um, I still need to get my passport. My friends are currently dragging me um, to hell and high water because I don't have my passport, and they're like, "Well, well, well as soon as COVID over, we leaving again, so you better be ready." <laughs> I'm gonna get it. I'm gonna get my passport. Um, so, um, did some, I did a little bit of research on you. Oh, Google be. Well, no, it's, I didn't go too far. I mean, I, I mean, other there wasn't anything bad, of course. Um, the funniest thing that did pop up is that damn tweet that your husband uh, about that you between you and your husband calling you, calling you Rosa Parks Rosa and Parks. clay mask on the hair. Oh my gosh! Um, that popped up, but that's about it. Um, but. I did see that you were a finalist for two chatbot contests, yes. one in 2019 and one in 2020. Mm-hmm. 2019 was um, Cave Con- Is it Canum? Canum? Cave Canum. Cave Canum. Mm-hmm. And I learned about them um, through Kyle, who um, was, was the co-host of the podcast during season one. She's also a poet, and she's currently going through the whole the whole like applying for residencies and things like that. I'm trying to like, girl, get on it. Like you're a good writer. And she's like, but D, I don't wanna, I was like, do, you watch MFA, do it. <laughs> and then um, in 2020, it was for Frontier Poetry. Mm-hmm. Um, it's for a book called Hair, Hairs, Hires, Airs. Mm-hmm. Look, me and language, I'm not gonna hold you up. I'm not the best at it. <laughs> um, you are a finalist. How, like, so how, how, what is the process for for you putting together a chat book? Um, like, I, it's something I find interesting because whenever I think of chat books, I always think of like these really very thin books. They're never really like, they're not like this. Because like Danae Smith's book is a bit thicker, right? It's like a collection of poems in which oftentimes when I think of chat books, it's like an excerpt of a collection, like maybe 10 poems from a collection. So like, what is what is that process like for you? Honestly, my my chat book is going back and forth between being a chat book and a full collection. Okay. She's a little thick for a regular chat book. She's about 30, 40 poems in right now. Okay. <laughs> um, so I think I need to stop playing around. But um, honestly, it's really about obsession. Like, I, I think a lot of what I do is I get obsessed with an idea or a concept and then I write nothing about but about that for like a year or two. So mm-hmm. I'm coming out of right now in a really obsessive series that lasted for a few years where I was just obsessed with the concept of intergenerational trauma. And it started with this course I took on neurobiology where I was learning like essentially how traumatized mothers literally pass on characteristics of their trauma like in the way it's impacted their brain and their hormonal systems and all these things and those things literally get passed on to their offspring and so their offspring come out with these characteristics that make them more susceptible to experiencing the same types of trauma so if I am born of a traumatized mother my hormone systems might not react the same way in a dangerous situation right like the hairs on my the back of my neck might not stand up in the way they should if I'm walking down a dark alley and somebody is following me. And this is a very dramatic situation, right? But if I'm walking down a dark alley and somebody is following me or whatever, and so therefore I'm not responding to things that like, I, I'm just more likely to experience some of these things. So um, I was really obsessed with what intergenerational trauma was. So I wrote 
everything that I could about my own family, about the trauma that I knew existed in my own family. And I would write about anything that came up in the news. Mm-hmm. Um, and then eventually I was like, oh, I should probably start putting these together in a document. And I tossed everything in a document and I was like, I got like 30, 40 poems. <laughs> I have like 30, 40 poems about this thing. Um, so I don't think in my mind, I was writing a book in my mind. I was just like, I cannot stop writing about this thing. Gotcha. Um, so, uh, so, so would you say that obsession is something that you need in order for you to start building a collection of poems? Like, do you need to have an obsession over a specific idea or topic for you to produce? Yes. And then I, I, I literally only write about obsession. So I, again it's like a seasons thing or write into obsession so it's like a seasons thing so if I'm writing if you're reading a poem that I've written there's a good chance that most of my poems are surrounding that thing and typically if I'm writing a bunch of poems in a time that don't have much to do with each other then I kind of just don't know what I'm obsessed with in that season so in this past season my poems are very varied but I think it's because I'm doing a lot of reading and just trying to figure out what's my thing is but once it hits me everything is about that right okay beautiful um, so I do have a few poems that I have listed here. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the, okay, I'm gonna be real. One of these poems, the first time I heard it, my first response was, "Oh shit!" And that's <laughs> Angola, Louisiana. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, I I just remember like my I, I and even think about it, I remember my chest doing this thing where it starts to like tighten up. And I was like, oh shit. And like as someone who who's like the child of a father who's in prison, it really it, it resonated with me. So that that's one. Um the poem that I made me happy of yours, um, not only because it's yours because of the poem, but because of how everyone else is celebrating it, was when Viola Davis won. Yeah. Because and I feel like I don't know if that was like one of your um pieces that went viral or something but it was everywhere everyone loves that poem it's the only happy poem i'd written for like years too <laughs> it gave me such joy to perform right um and then the other one is tell them after carvers and sound um which i also love that a lot of a lot of poets i know have done something that is like after his poem tell them uh, so those are three poems of yours that really like have always stood stood out to me including some of your older poems which names I do not know um actually you know what no I have another poem of yours that's actually that was actually published that's on my bookshelf let me it's in the um the the black girl magic book oh black girl magic anthology Um, yes I actually have it let me tell you when this book came out I Googled it to see if I knew any of the poets, and I saw you and Brittany. I was like, I'm buying it now. <laughs> I bought the book because I was like, I need to have their their poetry in my house, like in my living space. I love living with poems by poets who really, again, inspire me and influence me. And both of you are poets who do that. Let me see where can I find it. It's the poem in that book. It was a, in my obsession series with intergenerational trauma. Okay, pulling teeth and answering before dying, and answers before dying. That was the poem, which I found great. I, I, I also found it funny because like a few pages before that is no names, bye bye baby. I was like, it's not even a poem; it's a song, y'all. Like y'all just threw her in there. But yeah, so like, what is what was that like for you to be a part of such a um amazing collection of poems? It was amazing. I think when I was applying, I didn't even really know what it was going to be mm. so when I was like oh this is super cool I got to go um perform at the Poetry Foundation in Chicago um I love the Poetry Foundation huh I love the Poetry Foundation yeah, amazing I'd never been to the building before and um so I got to go do that I was just like honestly I've been getting people be accepting me for stuff and I'd be shocked every time <laughs> I'd be like y'all actually like this and w- was absolutely shocked in that poem was a part of that like little obsession series I had with intergenerational trauma. So that poem was actually, I my grandmother was dying from cancer, my great grandmother, and I was visiting her, and I would literally go in with um my phone and set it up and press record, and then just 
like start asking her questions Mm -hmm. and I just remember like asking her about my great-grandfather and her acting like she didn't know who I was talking about and I'm like you are not seen out please stop playing and then <laughs> she was like oh yeah I would and mind you this is like teacher bible study every weekend like taught children's bible study I've never heard my grandmother say anything mean about anybody and she was like if I could I would knock that man six feet like like knock him further down into his grave oh wow and I would be I was like and she was like next question <laughs> You know what I find to be very funny about our elders when they're when they are close to this to their life cycle, they definitely do become more open to having these conversations. Damn. They're just like, well, they, I guess something I'm just like, well, I'm about to go anyways. Might as well let this shit. Might as well let this shit fly now. Fire! I was like, ma'am. And the thing is, she's not like she ever talked about him before that. Mm-hmm. So I was just like, oh my god oh my gosh and I knew that that relationship was very tumultuous at his hands um mm-hmm. but it was yeah that so that that's where that poem came from and it was a part of that obsessive cycle but it was it was an honor to be in that collection to be along so many people that I admired I got introduced to a lot of black women's work through that collection mm-hmm. um to be published with my best friend which is always Brittany Rogers shout out Brittany Rogers <laughs> um oh I'm gonna get her on this podcast this season yes. too it's always a gem. So yeah, yeah, I, I love that one. I think I have two copies. I'm page 100. I love it. I love it. Um, as, I, as I said, like, um, y'all, like, y'all as a collective of people were my introduction, were my, were my true introduction into, like, a restorative poetry community, at least just within our, within our friend group. Um, Justin made me cry plenty of times with me and him just doing one-on-one um, writing sessions. Um, I have this one poem and I already got finished with the one stanza we were at live and I bust out crying and had to leave the club because I was just like in shambles. And he was like, wait, roommate, roommate, come back. Like he chased me down the street. And I was like, I'm okay. I need time. He was like, he was like, well, what is it? What is it? Let's talk about it. And I was like, I don't, because I was also like still struggling with like telling my father that I'm gay. Child, I don't even know if he get, I don't even know if he knows that I'm gay, but he's ass in jail, so it don't matter. But, <laughs> but that was really what I was like struggling with. Um, and when I wrote that poem, I just like could not let it out. Like, like I got that I got that one stanza out, and I just like emotions was like no, <laughs> no, was just like, and I feel like that was my first time writing in which I felt something. Um, I felt like I was actually accomplishing something. I felt like I was writing the type of stuff that I love to read. Mm-hmm. Um, which is why like, I hold all y'all so dear to my heart, which is why like, I, I, I celebrate y'all and like, whenever I can bring, whenever I can bring up y'all names and conversations to poetry, I do. I actually bring up all of y'all names in my photography classes. When I talk about um, text and, and photo, um, I could, I think it's just important that, um, that my students understand that you can definitely build, build a, build an image from just words and vice versa. Um, so, you know, y'all are in my syllabus and everything. <laughs> um, so just, a, just have a few more questions. Um, so it's a bit lighthearted. Um, so this one, I, I just want to know, who are some poets that you look up to? Other, other than people within your close circle, because okay. I, because I already, I already used my name Brittany as one of them. <laughs> I knew that was gonna happen. Yeah, and my other best friend too. Um, okay, so poets not in my close circle that have absolutely shaped my entire life. Alicia Harris. Mm. Um, we used she, to watch her poems together. And, and yeah. I, was like, I was like, me and you, we used to watch her poems together. We literally YouTube. watch her poems together. Um, and man, um, I'm grateful to like call her a sister in Christ now. <laughs> um, but she, her work, she was the first like black woman I saw who was like actively navigating faith and sexuality and art and like doing it all very shamelessly mm-hmm. at a time where I was in like a very conservative family. Like we didn't talk about sex. We didn't talk about, you know, we didn't talk about none of that kind of stuff. Um, and so I think 
her work navigating these subjects was really critical. Her work gave me permission. It mm. was really critical for me in that capacity. Um, Audrey Lord, mm. uh, the Black Unicorn, um, Angel Nafis, uh, Black Girl Mansion, that book man had me re-watching The Color Purple over and over again and just like really changed my life. Um, she's my mentor this year for um, for my MFA program, which is a blessing. Oh, exciting. Um, Denez. Denez, without, <laughs> without doubt. Um, I mean, Denez, is one of the folks who really showed me what was possible in terms of navigating stage and page like genesis -y. See I read that with my mom on Christmas and she laughed so hard. <laughs> that poem, if you see that poem go from the stage, because I saw them, them slam with it and then seeing it on the page and what they did with format and everything else, that poem is crazy. Mm -hmm. Um... Oh, so many folks, so many folks. Um, Lucille Clifton. Um, there is this poet, uh, Garus Abdel-Malkian, and I hope I'm pronouncing his name right. He's an Iranian poet. He's like the first Iranian poet to get published with a major publisher out here. Absolutely brilliant. Um, and Tozaki Shang. Mm -hmm. I'm going to stop Lovely. there. I got Lovely. That's beautiful. Okay, and then lastly, if you feel if you feel like sharing, can you share us? Can you share with us a poem of yours? Oh, snaps! Um, I can. So, do you have? I, I'm gonna give you the option. Do you want to make a request for an old fave that you got, or do you want something new? Something new. Something new. Okay. Mm -hmm. I got you. You just got to give me a second. No problem. <laughs> In COVID, your girl has definitely been reading off of the screen. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So, I'm going to read this poem by my best friend because I told you um, that I really don't I really wasn't writing many happy poems. So the season that I'm in um, is definitely a season that is prioritizing joy. Okay, beautiful. Um, so yeah, I wrote this poem for my best friend, Miana. She's brilliant. This is like my love poem to her. So um, just context, so in the Bible, right? Uh, this is Saul and, um, or sorry, not Saul, Jonathan and David are like, that's me and Miana's like friendship parallel. And those are the only two people in the Bible that for all the like discussions that we have about soul ties, those are the only two people in the Bible where it explicitly says that like their souls were connected. Mm -hmm. um, and so that is the person that I, that, that's the relationship I refer to, so. For Mimi, 1 Samuel 18, 1. And it came to pass when he, had, when he had made an end of speaking unto Saul, that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Mimi, how many nights have our bodies curled into each other after our niggas weren't acting right. After red wine, bougie aunties in training, you've held my hair tender after I've mixed dark and light, called me in from the edge of cliff after renamed cliff, been soother and sandpaper. We fall out, fight, we ride down, covenant sister, soulmate. This is a contract, me tied to you through the distance, states, countries, heartbreak, the distance of becoming different women than we have been. Sometimes I miss you 
and drink a carmineer. I plant aloe, read Romans, Corinthians, laugh at Paul, then marvel at the law to love. I whisper to the moon, pretend I can find Venus on my own. Sister, this is deeper than blood. I know I love you because I look to the sky confused by its beauty, but know you are there. I could not shake for free from you any more than I could shake free from my own skin. Root stamps, some gardens God calls in, some light God sends and says, this is good, good, good. I've kissed your face, seen your body, smelled your stink, argued in front of your mama's house, then showed myself to your childhood room when I didn't feel like talking. I've worshiped next to you, body bent, our selfish heart circumcised, be circumcised between us and an altar. We've grown into these women, wounded and capable, wild and free, then changed the definition of freedom, what I wouldn't do to protect you. Greater love has no one than this. Yes, yes. <laughs> Thank you so much, Ajane, um, for being here. I appreciate you so much. Um, for having me. No problem. Um, so for the listeners, where can they find you? How can they find you? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at moons at dusk, M-O-O-N-S-A-T-D-U-S-K. And you will be able to find me by the end of this month at my website, Okay. Um, and if you Google me, then my stuff will pop up some different little things for the stuff I forget to post because I'm very bad at social media like marketing and branding. Yeah. You having that unlock, I just get on and say my piece and get off. It's a whole other job, child. Job? I don't have time to be branding. Okay. <laughs> so yeah. That's it. That's that. That's all I have. Beautiful. Well, thank you again. Thank you so, so much. Um, to everyone listening, thank you for, for listening to Contemporaries, the podcast. We will see you every other week. Um, this is season two, and this was um, the beautiful Ajane Duncan. <laughs> and in this time we listen, take space to think and breathe. Sip our holy water, articulate our needs, this dysfunction.